You're listening to Meeting Pod, the podcast powered by Meeting Place, the premier magazine and news source for the meat and poultry processing industry, and Alt Meat Magazine, the only business information resource for the exploding alternative meat industry. Hi, I'm Lisa Keefe, editor in chief of Meeting Place and Alt Meat. Welcome to this month's Meeting Pod episode dedicated to the meat alternatives industry. Oswald Crasta earned his way through high school, living and working at a Franciscan monastery in his native India. He cared for the livestock, and he planted and harvested rice. Years later, he's still working with crops, but now he's the vice president of research and development for a company called Equinom. The Israeli company uses technology and big data to speed the development of new strains of plants that for example, have more protein or taste better. Oswald took time out of his schedule to talk about his work in depth with Alt Meat. So looking at your personal career history, and I just want to you know, know a little bit more about this, I'm seeing a lot of study seems to be focused around genetics, genomics, human genetic traits, plant-based genetic traits. Where do these things intersect for you? What is the, yes. the point of commonality or interest for you? Yeah, great question, Lisa. So, you know, once in a while, you look back at your uh, life or in your career, and when you look back, everything that we have done, sometimes it feels that you are destined to come to this. That's how I feel. Growing up in 1960s in developing country in India, I come from a smallholder family. It was important for me to address the world's most important problems. That was my small world to deliver. Yeah. So hunger and nutrition. So as you know, it was then as it is now, these are the two most biggest causes of mortality in in the developing countries. So I felt that I, I need to do something about it. I studied well in my education, not by chance, but very interestingly, I got Rotary International's Freedom from Hunger Scholarship to pursue my PhD in one of the best universities in the world, that is Cornell. So I got the Freedom from Hunger Scholarship to do my PhD there. Ever since the last 30 years of my career, as you mentioned, both in the human health as far as ag, if I can think about a common denominator of my work, I would say developing and applying technologies to address the key challenges in uh, human health or in nutrition. So it can be the non-communicable diseases such as cancer, cardiovascular diseases or obesity or emerging and re-emerging infectious diseases, where I worked for seven years at Virginia Tech, or improving the crops for nutrition. So this has been the common denominator. So in case of human, the purpose was clear, understanding the genetics and its response to the environment, so that we don't modify the human genetics, but we modify the environment so that health and the nutrition can be improved. But the application of genomics is the same both in humans as well as in plants. And genetically speaking, I think plants are the best model organisms to understand the genetics. You can do crossing, you can get the progeny that you want, and then see how the genetics manipulates there and so on. So we are taking everything that we have learned in human and more importantly in the animal genetics. Animal population genetics has been at its best and we'll take a lot of learning from there to apply into the agriculture. 
did I read this correctly? You're not talking about a genetically modified system. You are using the genetics to use old-fashioned breeding techniques and combinations and stuff to get to where you want to be, correct? Exactly. So that's exactly what we are doing right now. Our focus is very different. It's at the end of the day, the consumer needs. So what are the consumer needs and what are they asking for? And tracking it back and bringing it to a question, what can we do about it? So right now, the consumers are asking clearly for us a non-GMO, non-gene edited, but improved food for taste and uh, list processing and other um, important things for them that uh, as they think from their heart, it has to be good for the planet and it has to be with the animal welfare and so on. And that's what we do. So currently we are using the technology, state-of-the-art technologies, but mostly using the genetic variability that already exists. Tell me more about Equinom. I mean, it's not even, the company isn't even 10 years old. So what is the market opportunity in this plant-based space that, that the company and that you are, are leading the charge on here? Equinom was started in 2011. Our founder, Gil Shalev, I think he was ahead of his time. His vision was making the food more nutritious and more affordable everywhere in, in the world. So he took sesame as an example. Sesame is a crop that is left behind by modern breeding at least 300 years behind compared to any other modern red crop. So he took that one as a challenge and he converted that crop that is uh, manually intensive, grown in a smallholder farms in the developing world to a crop that is uh, adapted to a mechanized farming and therefore can be grown anywhere in the industrialized world too. So right now our uh, varieties are being grown in the United States, Australia, and also other developing countries such as Africa. So smallholder farmers can also be benefit from our uh, varieties. So with almost about 2x yield increase, higher protein and higher oil and a non-shattering, which is the really critical thing for us to make it a mechanized agriculture. So within six years, he could take this an orphan crop, what's labeled as an orphan crop, to bring it to a level where we has improved not only the yield, but other nutritional factors. So uh, currently we are working on besides sesame or our protein crops. So our first focus is uh, improving the protein in the crops and our obvious choice are the legumes. So we are focusing on pea, soybean, and few what we call the specialty crops. I'll tell you why we call it specialty crops, such as uh, chickpea, cowpea, mung bean, fava bean. And in a lot of cases in this space, you feel like you're eating healthier if you're having a plant-based burger, but you're having what is considered an ultra-processed product. And so those things are in conflict, whether consumers realize it or not. How does Equinom go about tackling that dichotomy? So a lot of work that needs to be done. And education is a two-way street with the consumers and with us. So I have seen, don't want to name names, but some of the plant-based food on the shelf right now are what I call sometimes are the fake foods. So if you are selling a cheese, it has to be rich in protein. It cannot be just rich in carbohydrates and oil, right? That's not what the consumers are asking for. They may end up consuming it, but that's not really what they intended to do. And sometimes the plant-based food can be too much processed 
And when they are going after the least processed expectation, now they're getting into plant-based food, but that's not what they really intended to ask for. So a lot of going back has to be done throughout the supply chain from the seed companies to the farmers, to the grain handlers, to, to the ingredient companies, the food packaging companies, and the consumers. So we as a whole community, including ourselves, we are not there yet as far as monitoring this well, but we cannot go wrong, for example, with protein, making sure that it has there should be more protein in somebody's food. You cannot go wrong in there. This is not a hype and this is something here to stay. Taste, it's here to stay. We know some of our top priorities and we are working on those. But as and we go more, we will keep learning from them. You're taking these learnings from the end of the use chain, the supply chain, the end user. How do you get that point across to your immediate customers who are, after all, still in that, how do I increase yield? How do I help the farmer make more money? It's a more complex and subtle message. And how does Econom sort of tackle that? So we are working very closely with the whole community to see where is the value? Where is the immediate value that we can work on? And based upon that, we prioritize and design our R&D to develop the other products. So as I mentioned, protein was one of the things that we really picked upon very early. In 2016, we announced to the world that we have got 50% more protein in our pea. That was a major advancement compared to any other commercial variety that was available there. That was a big breakthrough. And at the end of the day, as I said, it has to be good for the consumers. So protein, obviously, you cannot go wrong. So we are picking up traits initially that one, first, it has to be good for the consumers and then make sure that it has a financial sustainability benefit and then we, we ride upon it. So we do have a large number of trades in our uh, R&D pipeline and we can switch one over the other as and when they become more important for the consumers as well as the, throughout the supply chain. What are some of those other examples of the traits that you are pursuing? Taste is the next one. Nutrition would be the third one. So the second one we are choosing as a taste. So as you know, plants, uh, pea and soybean have a little bit of an off taste. And we see already the variation in our uh, germplasm that you know, taste can be modified. We're going to take a break here for a moment from our conversation with Oswald for a word from our sponsor, Anritsu. Whether you are processing plant-based or cultivated meats, you can rely on Anritsu's product inspection and contaminant detection equipment. Enritsu's X-ray, check weigher, metal detector, and combination systems are engineered to detect the smallest anomalies, while offering the best operational efficiencies and lowest cost of ownership. Simply, Enritsu equipment delivers a level of performance and reliability that truly advances the quality of your products and the efficiency of your operations. Discover what you've been missing at enritsu.com slash Now back to the podcast. We will return now to our conversation with Equinom's Oswald Krasta. When I'm reading about what Equinom is doing, I'm reading an awful lot about artificial intelligence. What role does AI play in your work versus good old-fashioned, I guess, under the microscope lab work? How does that play out on the ground as you are actually working on these things? From my point of view, it is very simple. It uses three steps of you know, from start to end. As I mentioned before, the first step is understanding 
the wants of current food industry and the needs of the future to understand that so as i mentioned to you what we have done is we have established active collaborations with the current food industry and ingredient companies to see what variation they see in the food what variation they would like to see in the food and then bring back that understanding and now we have a platform called a profiler platform we bring back that one and we have also built a state of the art food biochemistry and food application laboratory within the company we bring all of those needs and we redo what they see in the food so we reprocess the food to see what variation that they are seeing and then go deeper into the functionality of the proteins into the biochemistry aspects of of the proteins and then we once we get the biochemical properties we go back to our gene bank which is a well characterized gene bank and then we have a list of tens of thousands of list there that we can evaluate the biochemical properties now you have a what i think see that one as a, as a pyramid the pyramid at the top where about tens of the lines are characterized for food about 100 lines are characterized for the functionality of the proteins and a thousands of lines are characterized for the biochemical properties and tens of thousands of lines are characterized for the genetic content the dna so this is the pyramid so the ai tool helps us to vertically go up and down what is the food variation to all the way what is the variation that we get to see and just i would like to remind you that what food industry sees is a very small thin slice for example maybe 4 to 6 p varieties that they see not 400 to 1000 varieties that we see so what variation they see is very small but what variation we see is much bigger so that we can come back to the table to tell them these are your wants maybe you should consider this should be your needs do you agree so again as far as our breeding program is concerned it's again a very simple one it's not a very complicated one at all again as we say what is the value that we need to add and we go to the breeding program and we applied simple diagnostic marker tools it's kind of a big data process in terms of 200 years ago a farmer could have crossbred certain plants to get traits but it was a very slow process by putting this into a database and having a program that can search all of these parameters so quickly you're taking what could have been a years would have been a years decades long process and really at least theoretically coming up with a path to your goal in probably a matter of hours or days and then then of course then it has to be iterated through actual experimentation and such but am i understanding that correctly all of these tools are really helping us to go go faster but having said that one breeding it takes time doing a cross and taking few generations and uh, you can use all of the technology to preselect based upon the dna and so on and then you can take a small subset to the farmer's field and after that it's a time it takes in a it's a yearly evaluation based upon the number of years that is needs to be evaluated before it goes to the commercialization that much time it takes so what it takes off a lot of time is at the top of this funnel one is uh, making early selection and the second one being able to select the right parent into um, this crossing also is very important for us and so that way you can 
cut much of the inefficiencies, ineffectiveness in from there. And therefore, with the fewer dollars you have, you should be able to make an effective decision and save time in the early selections. Because I sort of have done a question, where are we in the history of seed development or plant development? Are there vast opportunities left to explore or given the development and the productivity increases of the last 40 years or so, are we sort of down to tweaking to squeeze little advantages here and there? The way I see is that untapped genetic diversity is a grossly understatement. There is so much that is available where we still be explored. We are barely scratching the surface of the genetic diversity. So we are a firm believer of the fact that there is enough genetic diversity to meet the challenges and we just need to tap into that. And our some of our results that we have done in the recent past, both in sesame but also in pea, clearly show it is doable. May it be increasing the protein or improving mm. the taste or other uh, oil content or any other the required ones. So I really believe that there is enough genetic diversity to go around. So it feels like the food industry is asking more of its seed stock and its data banks than it has in the past. But maybe from your perspective, we aren't asking too much. We aren't. We may be asking more than in the past, but it, the plant world is more than capable of meeting those challenges. Is that kind of what I'm understanding from what you're what you're describing? Yes, food industry has been seeking the improvements from the ag industry, but just because the way that we have been doing. There is not much variability available there. So therefore, in my opinion, food industry has taken it into their own hands by taking the whatever that they can get and improving it by applying processing steps that they can use to improve either the taste or the nutrition aspects of the food. So they have taken an approach of processing it to meet the requirements. So in my opinion, now that there is enough genetic diversity, that we can tap into, my opinion is food industry needs to demand more from from the seeds. So there is an opportunity now to to turn it around. And we see that one. When we engage the ingredient companies and the food packaging companies, they have put together departments in their own organizations to look for the alternative proteins and the variability that they can ask for. So we are engaged directly with, with them and we see the requirements they are bringing to us. You can access this interview with Oswald Krasta and all of our Meeting Pod Alt-Meat podcasts on our website at alt-meat.net. You can read more of my interview with Oswald in the November print issue of Alt-Meat magazine. Thanks for spending time with Meeting Pod today. Remember to tune in on Mondays and get the inside track on the people and processes that power the protein supply. Be sure to subscribe to Meeting Pod on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow Meeting Place and Altmate magazines on social media or visit our websites at meetingplace.com and alt-meet.net. <laughs>